sometimes the best stories in golf aren't found on tour you'll find them at the back of the range and here's your host ben adelberg and welcome to the back of the range i am your host ben adelberg this is episode 284 hope that everyone is getting some much needed rest here in the off season and getting ready for the holidays got a few more episodes before shutting it down for 2022 cannot believe that 2023 is just a few weeks away still plenty of merch available for those last minute gift needs the back of the range collection at imperialsports.com is still available and the coupon code botr15 will get you 15 percent off your purchase as for the other items hoodies towels get those orders in asap so that i can ship them out before christmas and hanukkah as you can imagine our friends at the u.s postal service are pretty busy this time of year this week i'm heading back up to sea island georgia for the 2022 jones cup junior invitational always fun to go back to sea island and no it's not because i passed two buckies on the way up and two on the way okay that's really a good reason but it's not the whole reason seeing the best juniors in the country that is the reason i'm going to the jones cup junior invitational last year i was able to see an epic battle down the stretch between caleb surratt and andrew mclaughlin that went to a playoff mclaughlin picked up the win the hospitality is great there everyone is in winter break mode and then you know the gun sounds and the competition gets fierce so make sure you are following on social media jones cup invitational is the instagram account where you will find all sorts of fun interviews and pictures and videos and perhaps a surprise or two i'm not going to give it away but you do know that there are quite a few pga tour pros that live in the sea island area right all right that's that's all i'm going to say about that as the year comes to a close it's only natural to reflect back on the year that has passed and that means the annual top 10 list of memories here at the back of the range Always fun to look back at the tournaments I've covered, the great episodes, or just the funny moments throughout the course of the year that really encapsulates what the back of the range is all about. I'll start releasing them on social media as we get closer to the new year, and I'm sure that I'll miss one or two of those key moments. It always happens. So help me out. Keep me honest. Shoot me an email at ben at thebackoftherange.com. Or hit me up on social media. Let me know what you think deserves to be included on this list. My guest this week at the back of the range is the head coach of the Texas Tech Red Raiders, Greg Sands. When you think of the traditional powerhouses of college golf, you think of Texas, Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, and rightfully so. But if you haven't done so already, you might want to start paying attention to Texas Tech. I saw them up close and personal at the Big 12 match play this fall where they won by defeating Oklahoma in the finals, and they have the game and the temperament to go far in the postseason next spring. And yes, when you have the number one player in the world on your team in Ludwig Aberg, sure, that doesn't weaken your chances, but their success really does start at the top with Coach Sands. We spoke briefly about this year's team, his philosophy on building a winning culture, and his start in the game in a small town called Jacksonville, Texas. So let's jump right in. Coach Sands, welcome to the back of the range. How are you? Thanks, Ben. Uh, appreciate you having me on. 
Absolutely. Well, we're here in the uh, in the nice off season, and you know we're going to talk a lot about the uh, the Red Raiders. Obviously, no, well, depending on what poll you're looking at on what day. I mean, is it fair to say you're the number one ranked team in the country? I mean, I'm sure there's 37 other polls, and it changes every hour. But we're just going to call you the number one team in the country for now. Does that sound okay? <laughs> I'm not going to argue with I you, even think, though I think I, we're number three. <laughs> I, I, okay, you're number three, number whatever. So wait a couple hours. If you're listening to this episode on a Monday, by Wednesday, they'll be number one. So that's fine. But but first things first, we're going to talk a lot about your team and your players and your journey. But, you know, let's get a little business out of the way here. I know golf is your passion. It's your life. It's your livelihood. And it's also how you provide for your family. You just received a seven-year contract extension to remain in Lubbock, Texas. Now, I'm not going to discuss the terms of the contract, but I must say I'm absolutely thrilled that you invited me out on your new yacht to record this episode. Now, <laughs> I wouldn't I wouldn't think that a yacht would be the first thing you'd go for being in Lubbock, Texas, but I mean it was I mean did you just immediately go for that? What other frivolous purchases have you made now that you've, you know, locked yourself in for another 7-8 years in in Lubbock? Well, uh obviously it's it's um flattered to uh to uh just just to have this behind me and and uh you know um the tcu job was open that's where i played and so uh, it was definitely something that over over the course of my my uh college career and then into coaching that's a place where i really and maybe envision myself being one day or hope that i could be there one day and sure and uh but but spending 20 years at texas tech it's become home the people are great the support's unbelievable um, and we've really built something here special through the, the help of, of donors, the help of uh, visionary guys that made golf important, important to us, to the, the, really the, the players that believed in what we were doing here and just really felt like it was the best thing for our, for our family to stay. And, and um, it really was a family decision to stay and just really feel like this is, this is home and we, uh, we love it here, but, um, you know, my contract didn't start till September. I am trying to hold my wife off on for, for too many shopping sprees. So. <laughs> I mean, I wasn't going to bring up that, but that's, uh, that's all. Well, yeah. I mean, you got a couple of kids here at Texas tech. I mean, this is really, embedded, right. you know, this is part of the family, but, uh, yeah, I, it's funny you brought up TCU because I, I wasn't going to bring it up, but it's, it's kind of like, you know, people forget it's not all about the players. I mean, this is your job, and and I guess you know sure. this is, this is part of it. And I guess it's kind of like you know nobody wants to see the sausage made, and probably nobody wants to hear about college coaches with their contracts and all that sort of thing. But but again, it is it is a job at the end of the day. It's how you're supporting your family. Uh, how do you kind of com- compartmentalize that? I mean, you like you said, twenty years you've been there. Right. How do you kind of differentiate the both where okay it's a job but then i also you know got the family i mean this is it's all encompassing isn't it yeah it really is but i do view my players as family we actually had a few guys that were in town uh that came over for for thanksgiving and just saw my kids and sure um end up watching the cowboy game a little bit together and some soccer together so you know it is a little bit of uh there's blurred lines there because that's the way i want it i want it to be family but but to your point, yeah, we, we do have to be our own um, agents because we're obviously um, going to be the ones negotiating our own contracts as golf coaches. We're not at the level of a, you know, a football coach or a basketball coach. So it does become difficult and, and sometimes uh, very difficult to navigate um, and do it, do it, do it well. And, and, uh, and so I was really fortunate to have an unbelievable athletic director that, 
believes in me that that um, that saw that that I was being pursued by another school and and stepped up to the plate. But it 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 really uh, started way before that with the, with the players, with the team, and yeah. the feeling the feelings that we got. So very difficult to uh, to see see those lines that you get blurred. But we're family here, and this is this is the place I want to stay. Well, I think uh, I think you guys are. I mean, obviously, it's a tremendously successful program, and and still, I mean, gosh, I'm thinking about this. You don't <laughs> just seeing you recently at, at Houston Oaks for the Big Twelve match play. You don't look like you've been at this job for 21 years. I mean, 25 team titles, 30, you know, individual tournament wins. You're, you're I mean, how the hell are you part of a Hall of Fame? I mean, you don't. I mean, when I think of Hall of Famers, you think of the guys that that you know been at it and they're in their you know 50s and 60s and 70s you don't look like you're you're a member of a hall of fame and as do not and i don't mean that in in any way of, about your your skill level sure. and your accomplishments i'm like this guy doesn't look like he's a hall of famer how did this happen well i appreciate that i do have a, a the genes i mean i used to get accused of being a player when i first started coaching and everybody would come up to me and mistake me for a player and ask oh, how, really? I, how i played that oh day. that's so, awesome <laughs> yeah, we, we have at least at least grown out of that stage and 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 uh but you know I have been blessed, you know, that the the people that I've surrounded myself here, the players, uh our staff, Brooklyn, Nathan and and the people here just you know, it keeps me young. You're around young people, so you do kind of have still this spirit of being young and even though I'm forty eight, I, I, I didn't think I would be in the Hall of Fame, nor did I really want to accept it when I got nominated, but I I talked to some people. I talked to Mike McGraw and several people, and they go, "Greg, if you have the opportunity to do this at your age, um, to get your family to to get to see that, um, yeah, you know, most most people most people wait till maybe their families couldn't come physically, or or maybe they're not even living." So that I got some good advice and was able to have both my mom and dad there, uh, my my kids there, and and so uh, it's one of those things too. I viewed as being kind of the ending career thing, but super humbling because it does just time flies and you just really feel like that, you know, you're building, 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 you're, you're, you're working hard. You're doing all the things you think you need to do to, to build a program. Then all of a sudden you wake up one day and, and you do realize that 20 years has flown by and, and uh, that you've, that you've successfully navigated the program to a spot that, that everyone's proud of. And it really takes a village to get here. And we just really have the, the right, uh, uh, mixture of, of people in our staff and um, the leadership at the top that support us in, in a meaningful way. So, yeah, I, I can't believe it either. I, <laughs> I, there, there's times I'm like, I, I have to like to, to remind myself that I'm not, you know, I'm, Hey, I'm pretty close to 50. I need to make a smart decision here. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. It, when, if a, like a flag football game breaks out, maybe, yeah, exactly, maybe, right? maybe not. Yeah, we don't jump into that. Um, speaking of football, how, Let's. I, I always love looking back and where people get into the game. Um, everyone that listens to the back of the range know that it's uh, it, it comes early in the episode. How does someone get into the game? And I love finding out things about people's hometown. Uh, the Vanishing Texana Museum, the Tomato Bowl, and the Jacksonville Rodeo Arena, three staples of Jacksonville, Texas. What was it like growing up? in Jacksonville, Texas. And how did you get into the game of golf population? Yeah. 13,497, by the way. Well, my dad, uh, you know, we moved to, to, to East Texas when I was in third grade, I was born in Galveston. My dad was in medical school at university of Texas medical branch in Galveston. So, um, have a little, uh, born on the Island spirit to me, but, uh, we, 
we moved to East Texas when I was in third grade and near um, in Tyler, actually, which is a lot bigger city than Jacksonville. But my dad ended up starting his own ophthalmology practice in Jacksonville. And lo and behold, we moved to the only golf course in town. There was a golf course in my backyard that I was always really an outdoors guy. I wanted to be playing any sport that it was in season. I mean, I just loved anything with a ball, sign me up. And, and so golf kind of caught my interest and I was not very good at it. Um, I didn't start playing until I was probably around 11 or 12 right in there. And, um, and so, cause, cause we, when we first moved there, we didn't live by the course, but, but once we kind of settled in a little bit longer, a little bit uh, later is when we did move by a golf course. So when I was 11, 12, 13, right in there, I don't really remember exactly. We moved by on this golf course and that piqued my interest. And we had a, we had a, for the lack of a better term, we had kind of a Harvey Pinnock um, type of a person at our golf course. His really? name was, uh, yeah, his name was uh, Murray Tolan, Mr. Tolan. We called him Mr. T. And he was, he was in his eighties and he was retired and, and his goal was to get as many kids interested in the town to come, to come play um, golf. And so we'd set up our little country club driving range and he would set some old tires on the driving range. And we would, we would chip our, we would chip and try to hit the tires and he would actually pay us. If we hit the tire, we'd get a nickel if we hit the tire Okay, and our whole goal that that whole session was to get 55 cents to get a Dr. Pepper. And, uh, at the club, it was 55 cents back in the day. And, sure. and so, you know, I, I think we robbed that poor guy out of more nickels because, <laughs> you know, we would, we would lie. It would hit the, hit the, hit the, uh, if it was close or we saw a ball that hit it and we would claim it, but uh-huh. you know, it created an atmosphere that was fun. Uh, we got to know the kids that, that were that interested in golf and we really had a good, sneaky golf culture for a small country town and um the people uh, i used to mow yards to uh, pay for my entry fees and the the golf course was my babysitter i mean i yeah i would knock it i would knock out my lawns and and so that i could go be at the club and practice and play and, is this cherokee and, ranch uh, Ch- yeah cherokee ranch it was cherokee country club back then it's changed a couple times you know it's hard to in a small town for, yeah. for a place like that to keep, keep, to keep it, uh, keep up. And, and, um, that's a great, it was a great layout. It was a fantastic place to learn. We had some great players that came through here. We had a, a player, Greg Hamilton, that won on the Nike tour back on the day he played it. I think he was the Southland conference player of the year at Stephen F. Austin. So we had somebody a little older than us that we looked up to his whole family had great golfers, uh, Greg Hamilton, Brian Hamilton, I'm going blank on uh, on the other kid, but he was he was great. So they had three really good players there that we all looked up to, and then we also had a kid that was younger than me that could just beat my brains in. His name was Chad Beller, and his dad would would be uh, kind of my golf mentor along with Mr. Toll, and he would he would take us to the tournaments and um, and really I I learned by Chad beating my brains in every day, and yeah. I'm just trying to keep up with him, and so uh, that's how it's all started. That's awesome. That just sounds yeah. like the best, like, un- unfortunately that junior golf environment probably doesn't exist as much anymore, but that just sounds, that's, I mean, that's ideal. That's what you want. You want the club. Absolutely. Or, and you probably had a whole bunch of guys in their fifties and sixties that would keep you in line and just, you know, basically show you how to play the game like a man. Absolutely. And yeah. we, we had so many people that, 
that they would see us out there working hard. They would, you know, give us some pointers. I yeah. mean, we didn't really have, have a, the internet or for lessons, we would just go find a dad that was willing to teach us that day on the range that day that they pick up a few, few things here or there. And, you know, we didn't know any different. So, uh, you know, life was good. We would go in the woods and find golf balls because we would, you know, back then our baladas would cut all the time. So we were always trying to find golf balls. So we'd spend our times in the lakes and the woods finding golf balls and, and uh, doing that thing. And I I still remember this day, uh, one day we would, I think two days in a row we hauled some hay, which is a very tough job. And then yeah. that night, about two in the morning after we finished that, we would we had so much hay on us, we just jumped in the country club pool and snuck in there and jumped in there. So it was really like a like a com- yeah, community of uh, small town people that yeah. that uh, that that supported us in in the way that they knew best. We're about the same age. Um, let's see, my golf ball of choice. I see. I bought my golf balls from the. The, the the divers down here in South Florida that would that would go to they get contracts to go around and they'd dive for golf balls then clean them up and then sell them used uh, precept EV extra spin that was yeah, the, those that was the that was ticket that was the ticket that was that was the hot <laughs> one around back then um, yeah but yeah I, I think that was maybe toward my end but I still remember uh, you know I still remember trying to find the um, the, the best ball, the softest ball, was the Max, Max Fly, Fly HT one hundred. Yep. Yeah, and so that was the ball that you really had to kind of baby that thing. Maybe maybe you put it in the, as the putting ball for the day because you didn't want to hit too many wedges. Yeah, that yeah. Thing. You hit a couple wedges and and it just it doesn't even cut. You just like each individual groove on your wedge would be completely imprinted yeah. into that ball. But oh yeah, those were <laughs> those were so cool to watch spin off the green. But they were pretty useless oh, yeah. after that. <laughs> they were they were, they did not last very long. Well, well, you, I mean, this is a great start to your career, and you know, you play at TCU, and you know, nice career there. You know, won a couple conference championships in ninety seven, ninety eight, and and what's so crazy is when you were just talking about you know TCU, the job opens up basically because your former coach and now your your colleague Bill Monigle. I mean, thirty six years at TCU. That is, I mean, I don't care what profession you're in. That's just that you just don't see that anymore nobody stays anywhere at anything for over 30 years yeah he really is the best you know he he really uh you know um it's hard to talk talk too much without breaking up a little bit he's really uh done a lot for me in my career I mean we still probably talk at least once a week if not sometimes you know once a day and uh you know when I was able to to get here to Texas Tech as an assistant and and uh, when Jeff Mitchell left, I thought I was going to be looking for a new job. And lo and behold, they offered me the job. But he was the first guy to tell me that I could do this job and believed in me. And um, so many good qualities about Bill. But, you know, he, he just has the knack to, um, to figure out what he needs to do, um, who he needs to recruit. And um, he's just really sneaky competitive. He gets up and rolls up his sleeves. And I think – you know, being basketball, being the, the background that he he first started coaching in really um, helped him learn how to recruit so well. And he's still to this day one of the best recruiters out there and and uh, and just a dear friend. And I owe him so much to, to my success, but more importantly, my my development as a player in person. Well, I we, we won't get back into the whole coaching, uh, uh, into the, the, the contract, but that just – 
that had to have been absolutely gut-wrenching. It's one thing to have another job open up in front of you, but for to take over from your mentor, we're not going to go down that road because I don't want to have to start right. ed- editing, editing out <laughs> all your crying, which you know, I'll, I'll start tearing up too. But so, so you get into coaching. What Now, I know you're a communications major at TCU, but you know, writing a press release or giving a speech to a captive audience is not the same as trying to communicate with a 19 or 20 year old on the right way to do things and how to get them to learn a lesson, getting young people to put something else above their own personal interests and aspirations. I mean, that's some serious sorcery right there. What did you know about coaching? Or, I mean, when you first started looking back 20 years, what did you know about coaching? Did you know that this was your calling or was it just like, oh, I'll try coaching? Yeah, I I, uh, I had some really special people in my life that that coached me. And because I love sports so much, um, you know, I was always trying to be in team settings. I played a lot of basketball. I had a great basketball team in Jacksonville. We we went 20 and 0 in district play our last two years and and uh, just had a really gr- great group of guys, but also had some really unbelievable coaches is, is, uh, along the way. And, and, uh, really a, a few of those guys and what, what kind of impact they've made just in, in, and, um, uh, in my life, you know, my, my youth pastor at my church was actually my junior high, uh, uh basketball coach, my ninth grade basketball oh, wow. coach. And, and, um, and so, you know, he was teaching, teaching me in the science classroom. He was teaching me on the basketball court, but he's also teaching me in life when we would have our youth group at, at our church at, at his place. And we got to see him, you know, uh, take care of his family, see him take care of his wife, see him be a coach. And I think those are the days that, that, that had kind of dawned on me. I mean, man, what a great profession to be able to be around a bunch of young people and, you know, hopefully impart, you know, some, some wisdom along the way, but, but more importantly, just to be involved in their lives and, and hopefully uh, stretch them as human beings. And, and, um, you know, so that's really what, what got got me interested at a young age that I that I would want to coach and had some experiences along the way of, of being able to do some things in college and and uh, things that confirmed that that this definitely a passion that I had. And so I made up my mind like the middle of my sophomore year at TCU, like, hey, this is something I want to do. Yeah, I'm going to start start coaching some basketball. I actually, was was. Uh, was doing some, I would come back home to Jacksonville and help scout some opponents. I was actually helping volunteer at TCU. Uh, Billy Tubbs let me uh, write, write some letters, not the actual content of the letter, but the envelope and, and some purple Sharpies to kind of do some uh, recruiting letters. So I was always trying to see where would I fit best. But ultimately, I guess because I played the game at a high level, even though I didn't play a lot for TCU, I, I, uh, I needed some, some perfect things to line up and qualifying or a couple of guys to stumble in the top five for me to play. Um, sounds, I just knew sounds, that it sounds like a guy I know yeah. coach, just so you know, that's, yeah. uh, that sounds like, someone <laughs> I, yeah, that sounds familiar to me. So I knew that obviously I wasn't going to play professionally. And so it was really about positioning myself to coach. And, you know, there's really not a, a one way to do that. There's not a, there's not a track. There's not a, a here's how you get into this. It was like, Hey, you just got to maybe get lucky and, uh, work some camps, uh, get to know the right people. Right. And I was really fortunate. Bill, Bill Montagill, you know, introduced me to Mike Holder. I worked his golf camp for several years, uh, as a college a player, but also after college, when I was working as an assistant pro at a local club. So I was, I was doing two or three things 
along the way, once I knew that I wanted to get into coaching, that would help me set me up for the opportunity that I finally got at Texas Tech to come as an assistant in August of 99. Well, I mean, it's a great journey and you get there. And, and you know, the one thing about college golf, which, you know, I kind of see just because I'm up close. I mean, I, I see the conversations that you and other coaches are having with players. But, you know, when you're, you know, in baseball, okay, when, when the, the runner steals, obviously the manager sent, you know, sent the sign over and that's why that happened or called in a left-handed relief, you know, relief pitcher in football, you know, the, the coach is reading the defense, designing the offense. You know, we can go down the line of different sports, but in golf, you know, if one of your players like hits it to the fat side of the green on a par three, nobody's saying, Oh, clearly that was a play sent in by coach Sands. That's why he hit it to that <laughs> side. I mean, nobody's thinking that they're thinking about the player. So I know this is a big ask, but like, what are some of the responsibilities that you would say are important to the success of your team? I guess as far as preparing them, I know there's a lot of things there's recruiting, there's, um, you know, making sure their grades are up. But when it comes to the actual sport, like how has your knowledge base grown over the last 20 years and what do you try and share with them so that, you know, maybe it doesn't get seen on the outside, but it, it is clearly the work and guidance of the coach that's, you know, allowing this team to play this way. It's a, it's a mixture of several things. You know, we, we all have, we all do it a little bit differently, but, you know, like you said, over 20 years, you really start to learn maybe a little bit more about, not only your university, but the culture you're trying to recruit to and the kind of player that you want. But, you know, I, I just really feel like that, that maybe my, my biggest uh, uh, strength is just being vulnerable with the guys. And, and, and uh, you know, we, we have individual meetings. We try to get those done weekly. We don't always get that done, but, you know, just building that relationship to where they know you care and that you're invested in their, in their life. And, you know, whether or not they play good golf or not, um, hopefully doesn't change the way I treat them. I can't say that I'm perfect there. We're, we're all humans there, but I try to try to treat, treat each kid, whether they're struggling or not with, with, you know, with, uh, just the passion that, that I can give them every day. And, yeah. and I think, I think they feel that, you know, they, they feel that, that you care. They feel that, that, uh, you're there for them. And, I think that's obviously helped us recruit better athletes because the culture is good and the, and the reputation of what we have going here, whether it's the facilities or, you know, the coaching staff and that, that we're going to do the best we can to, to help them and, and uh, develop them as, as men and, and golfers. But, you know, there's really no secret sauce. Everybody's probably a little bit successful in their own different way, but I do feel like that, you know, getting to know each kid and getting to know them on a, on a deep level, and to know they really care and that, you know, quite honestly, those guys know that, that, uh, I have their back in a, a very strong way that, that, um, you know, and, and that takes, takes, takes form in, in many different ways, but they feel that they know that. And, um, you know, that they feel how much I care and how much I put into it. And the result, I think we get maximum effort and maximum buy-in and, uh, it doesn't mean we're not perfect, but we work through everything that we need to. We communicate really, really well, and um, it's family. So we're going to have times where we need to get in there and just deal with some tough things, and and then we're going to have you know great moments like winning the Big 12 match play, and that's where it really all comes together. And you realize, you know, all the work you put in, all the kind of the if you will, the blood, sweat, and tears of, yeah. the, of the process process come together. But um, 
I think that's a little the best I, best way I can describe it. Yeah, I mean it's a it's a it's a lot. And you mentioned something interesting with with recruiting. You know, I mean we'll just kind of pick apart a couple of these. You know, it, it seems. I mean, and you tell me, it seems like it's probably gotten harder as technology has has improved because you can sit in a golf cart in Lubbock, Texas, and watch YouTube videos of some player in Sweden, or you can FaceTime a player in Norway after he finishes a tournament, um, and you have ball speed and spin rates and all this all this data, but still it all comes down to knowing the, the caliber and the quality of the person. So is 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 it getting harder as technology gets better? I think yes, yes and no. I mean, I think that um, yes, there's a lot more people that are accessible, and um, and so I think to your point, like um, there's not there's not going to be those guys that maybe haven't been evaluated, or there's not going to be some guys that that haven't been noticed. Um, there's going to be um, just plenty of there's going to be a lot more exposure to those players, and so we're going to find out about who can play because there's just an ease of communication across time zones and across countries and right. that kind of thing. And so I do think uh, in a way that makes our job easier, but also in a way that makes our job harder because there's going to be more people to hear about it. So you're, you're, you're going to be competing against more programs for, for that player. But uh, you know, for, for me, I think it's made it easier just because um, you know, it's based our, our, our program is based on relationships. And if I can build that relationship in a, more meaningful way, or if they can see and feel and kind of hear what we've got here before they come, then they're more inclined to come take a look at it. And so I think it's helped us tremendously to be able to tell our story and, and then to be able to, to feel how authentic that is. You mentioned your story and that kind of rolls right into the, I mean, the, the conference you're in, I mean, you, you're in arguably the best conference in college golf. It's extremely competitive. I know there's going to be some changes to the big 12 moving forward, but for now you have Oklahoma, Oklahoma state and Texas. I mean, those are, I guess the three traditional powerhouses of the conference that, that the average golf fan might recognize, but you got to go up against, you know, the defending national champions. You got, you got the Longhorns, you got coach fields, you got coach Bratton over at Stillwater Hibbles down in Norman, Oklahoma. You got McGraw, who's a legend, Bermel at Kansas. I mean, you have, I can keep going down the line. What is the story that you sell to recruits when there's also these other schools that are, you know, are, I mean, you know, to be fair, probably more known sure. as college golf schools than Texas tech. So how do you sell your story? We got to be creative. We got to scrape and claw, maybe find some guys that, that uh, you know, uh, don't grow up as Sooners or don't grow up as, as Cowboys. Cause it's a very, <laughs> yeah. you know, very, yeah, it's very hard to beat those guys when they grow up in that culture. Yeah. Um, so, uh, I uh, I do think that that uh, we just have to find those kids that see the value for what what we are, and we have you know several things that that are different than a Texas. You know, our 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 uh, place is easy to get around. It's everything's kind of really close. And so we have to find guys that, 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 that want that, um, you know, versus, versus real, what, what other people are selling at their places. And so there's enough great players now to go around where, we, where our story is just as powerful as, you know, the Texas brand or the Oklahoma state brand, if you will, or, you know, really the job that Hibble's done has been amazing. And so, uh, you know, it's 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 just finding those guys. Whether it's uh, you know, we've obviously had some good Texas players, but we but we have to go internationally and find some of those guys too that that really see our places 
the place they want to be and and don't get caught up in and maybe necessarily uh, the past and um, you know what's happened you know before them that you know find guys that they don't care they see the opportunity they see the schedule that we have they see the facilities and it's the place they want to be um, and I think you know one thing that we have that that most of those places don't have is a community that supports uh, a, a kind of a feels a smaller community even though it's a bigger city and everybody's all in on Texas tech athletics and yeah. there's not a lot of uh, frills and fancy things around. We have enough things to have fun, but we, we have good golf courses and, and, and people who care. And, and, uh, and you know, that's like the kid like Sandy Scott, who's, who's uh, going to the Latin American um, tour. He just left uh, from Lubbock and um, he left on Sunday. And I think his story is kind of what I'm saying. And we have, several guys in the community that know his story and are helping him because of his injuries and helping him not only financially, but are very interested in his development and uh, keeping up with them. So I think that, that type of feel, you feel it when you come to Lubbock, it feels like home. Even if you're from Scotland, it feels like home and people treat you like, like uh, you're, you're a, a Lubbockite, if you will. Yeah. Well, you mentioned going international. I mean, your team, you know, I, uh, again, saw you guys as you won the, the Big 12 match play in, in Houston, um, at Houston Oaks, I should say, and really a great fall. You won at Inverness as well, you know, second place at, at the Hogan at, at Colonial. You know, you're. I know you have a much larger team and not just players, but support staff, but, and, and you know, assistant coach went, and we'll, we'll get to that knucklehead in a, in a little bit, but, um, but, you know, you're starting five in that tournament. You got Aberg, who's a senior from Sweden. Skogan's a junior from Norway. Callum Scott, you know, that's uh, Sandy's younger brother from Scotland. You got Jack Wall, who's a senior transfer from South Carolina by way of New Jersey. So, and then you got the kid, you got Camagas, who's a freshman from Dan Alston, Texas. That his, his hometown's smaller than the one that you grew up in. He's only 3,000. Right. So, you're, you kind of have a little bit of everything there. You got Nordic influence. You got, you know, a transfer, you know, the transfer portal is a, a huge part of college golf right now. Um, and it all fits. Cause I saw you guys uh, on the go- golf course and off the golf course. It all fits great. I guess, you know, talk to me a little bit about like Jack wall. Like, you know, this is not just specific to him, but right. you know, the, you know, transfer portal. I mean, do you, do you put all your eggs in the basket of, recruiting do you have to look at the transfer portal i mean it kind of looks like you know not to immediately put a, a heavy label on him but coming out of jersey i mean is this like a kind of it looks like and actually he looks like chris goddard up to be honest with you that's what that's kind right. of the reference i was going at but like how do you balance all of this to kind of make it all work yeah it's 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 uh really come together you know uh, we we've been well it's a combination of being lucky but also doing your homework and and so you know you try to try to do the best you can to make sure you find guys that fit into your culture. And when you have them on campus or when you're telling your story, uh, we try to tell in a way to where if they, they hear that and want to buy in, then, uh, then it's going to work. And, and, and what I mean by that is if, you know, we, we talk about what we're all about and that sounds like something they want to do. And that's very specific to how we run things here. And if that ends up being something that they want, then, then there's no surprises once they get once they get here. They know that that we're going to be competitive. We're going to be all in. We're 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 going to do the things that 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 we feel like we need to do to compete at the highest level. And and sometimes that doesn't feel good. You know, sometimes you get left at home because you didn't qualify well. But you know, having that support on the back end and and the belief that that you're going to get back in there and accepting those challenges is is really 
um, finding those guys and, and if they agree to those things and, and they get excited about the things that we sell, then it, it really fits whether you're from Sweden or whether you're from, you know, Van Alstine, Texas, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's uh, not rocket science. If, if they, if they like what they're hearing and then, and there's no surprises on the back end of that thing, then, then, uh, then we, then we're good. And that's not to say that we don't have some bumps along the way or we're humans and, and, uh, but, but it really is a beautiful thing to have guys that learn from each other and our Europeans bring a different type of culture to the table, a little bit of more independence, a little bit of maybe maturity there and, and, and vice versa. I think our guys, you know, from Texas bring a little bit of a, you know, kind of figure out a way and, and be tough and, and find a way to get the ball in the hole a little bit better and, and fight. And so it all comes together and we learn from one another and, and uh, shoot, I keep learning from those guys too. And it's uh I probably learned maybe more from Ludwig than he's learned from me <laughs> over the four years. At least, at least I feel that way. But, um, and, uh, so yeah, I, I feel like that it, if, if it's communicated in a, in a way up front and then it all, it all works really well once we get here. I mean, you, you're always going to have some things, maybe if your playing time's not going well, then we've had some kids that, 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 that have moved on. But the beautiful thing is every one of those kids have come back in town and practice here and still feel very welcome to our, our culture and our program. And, and, uh, and that's what makes, I think this place, uh, such a great place to be. Yeah, absolutely. Well, that's, that says a lot if they're coming back, you know, cause they always feel welcome. That's a, that's a very telling, uh, statement there. Um, I know we can fill up an entire episode with like each one of your players, but we're probably don't have time to do that. But I, but you mentioned, you mentioned Ludwig, I mean, number one player in the world right now, number one player ranked in PJ tour U. I don't think I know the story. When, how did you find Ludwig Aberg? How did, when did you first meet him? So, uh, yeah, with Ludwig specifically, um, we had had some Swedish players. We'd had some success here with Swedish players. I, I knew the coaches there well, and I was obviously doing well with recruiting kids um, from that country and fitting in well. So um, they knew that what we had here, that I was treating those kids uh, well, and they were developing under – uh, under our leadership here and and so I was just in a great spot to to recruit a couple of their top end players in in Sweden and and uh, he came to Arizona State and he came to our place he narrowed it down to those two places and that was back when you could do as much unofficial visits as you could so he sure. he came to our place and their place and um, at the time we had Mikkel who's at, at Baylor and he's obviously from Norway and so I think I'm just a it was it was so close between you know us and Arizona State on where he wanted to go and I think that was probably the deciding thing that he felt very comfortable with Mikel being the assistant so you know it was a it was a team effort recruiting him I I probably put in the legwork in the front end and, and having Mikel on the back end to to just reinforce his being comfortable here and and I think Ludwig you know saw all the things that we had and and I felt like this was the best place for him to to get better but um, it really wasn't just this, this dog fight that maybe everyone thinks that it was of, you know, going over and watching a hundred tournaments here and there. Like, like you hear about some of the stories or, or quite honestly, like, you know, when you, when you see some of the, when I first started coaching, you kind of learn those lessons the hard way when you try to recruit a guy that, that Oklahoma state and Texas and, and everybody's on and, and you, and you dip your head in there and you're like, wait a minute, there's a lot of players in this, the chances yeah. of me getting this together. Uh, so I may need to go spend my time some other places. So it really wasn't that type of recruitment, but it was very competitive at a high end, but he made his choice to narrow it down pretty quick. And, 
and uh, was just lucky enough that that he he saw and believed in what we had going here. Yeah, you know, I, I I've seen him quite a, quite often, whether it's at a USAM or at college tournaments, or obviously at the Jones Cup when he won that in 2021. You know, people ask me all the time because they know that you know I'm around so much college and amateur golf. They say, well, who who's the can't miss guy? You know, who's the guy that's going to be star? And, and obviously, there's no guarantees in that. But I always kind of bring up you know, Ludwig's name because I think not just because of what he does in the golf course, but he just seems to handle the noise better than like anyone I think I've seen. Like you just seem so unaffected by, you know, the, the interview request or, you know, I'm sure there are plenty of uh, people interested in his um, financial future uh, when he turns professional, we'll just leave it at that. But he seems to handle the noise better than anyone I've seen. Like you would never know. You really would never know until you start looking at his scores, then you might figure it out. But like, you really, <laughs> you really don't know just by looking. I mean, him with all the, you know, him cutting up with everyone else on the team and, and, you know, just really enjoying the college atmosphere. He seems to have two feet firmly in place in college, as opposed to, you know, maybe some others that you can tell that one foot is already kind of in the pro ranks. They're already, right, looking, right. they're looking six months ahead instead of just being right where they are. Yeah. You're really, you're really spot on with that. He's done, he's done an amazing job of, of exactly that he's his best attribute is his maturity and his ability to to really slow things down and take it for for what it is and that that shows up on the golf course in a big way just the game is real slow to him he's uh very focused on on what he needs to do uh he takes care of that business in a professional way and so he really stands out when you when you see these college golfers because of how mature he is and how unflappable he is because you know some of these kids are still pretty emotional about every shot and so you know, he really does a good job of, of just kind of being in the in the moment and not letting the past or the future affect him. And and that shows up in his interviews. It shows up on the golf course. And and obviously, I think that's his best attribute. I mean, we're also talking about a world class, you know, fundamentally and all the other things, you, superlatives you want to throw in there. But I still think that his best attribute is is between his ears and how he handles himself on yeah. the golf on and off the golf course. Yeah, no, I agree. And and. You know, now you're mentioning, you know, really the the maturity. I mean, this seems like a natural pivot to to Mr. Skogan. I mean, when you talk about maturity, I mean, we got to talk about 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 Board Skogan. I mean, first of all, best stinger I've ever seen. Um, he has to be one of the funniest guys in your team. Uh, I I was being kind of sarcastic with moving to maturity, but um, Minnesota Vikings fan, of course, because he's from Norway. Is that the biggest personality on your team? Would you say? Uh, that's a tough one. Um... I may need a little time to think about that and circle back up to that one. Um, okay. He, he de- yeah, he's, he's definitely got a great personality and one that keeps us laughing. I mean, and we get laughing with him. It's, it's, it's really good, but, <laughs> but uh, to say maybe the biggest personality on the team, you know, we probably don't have just a huge, um, one of those guys that has just a massive personality. Gotcha. I think we all blend in very, very well, but, but yeah, uh, boards, boards, a funny guy and definitely a guy that makes a big impression on, his playing partners, you know, a lot of people, once they play with board, they may make a point to say, man, that guy's a funny guy to yeah. play with. I really like him a lot, that kind of thing. Well, I want to get you out of here because I know that you have, uh, you have some, some, some coaching duties to tend to. It's never, there is no, there is no off season for a college golf coach, is there? I mean, you may not have a tournament to go to today, but there's definitely something, there's always something 
Um, let's shift a little bit of the credit away from you. Let's talk about, <laughs> I can't even get through it with a straight face. Uh, your assistant coach, Nathan Went. Um, I, I, you know, you have the best stinger of the game with Skogan. You got the best player in the world with, with, with Aberg and arguably the best facial hair in college golf coaching ranks. Um, talk to me about your assistant and how much he takes off your plate and how much he kind of helps the wheel turn for, for the, for the Red Raiders. Yeah, yeah, Nathan's a great, great support guy. You know, he really, really has a good relationship with the players. I think he, he meshes in well with them and really fills in the gap there. He, he's, he's actually a really good player too. So he'll get out there and play with the guys and, um, you know, and, and he's really, you know, he may come across as a guy that's a, it's definitely a funny guy, but he also has got the side of him that he's really, really intuitive to how the guys are feeling. He's really intuitive to, maybe what's missing, what they need at the moment. Sure. And uh, he's really, really good on the golf course of figuring that out. And, it, and you know, you wouldn't know that about him if, if you didn't spend a lot of time with him. He's very, very intuitive out there on the golf course. Oh, yeah. He's he's fully in it, too. I remember that final round against Oklahoma at Big 12 match play, and you would see, like, I don't think he really relaxed at all till like, the – Actually, I don't think he relaxed at all that entire day until you're holding the trophy. Yeah, he, I've never seen him like that. Normally, he's pretty cool and calm, and I'm one of running around, kind of being the more high energy guy. But, but I think that was the first time he'd been in that situation, and he kind of probably felt like he didn't have much control, and uh, and so he was a little bit of a wreck there. At the end. <laughs> well. It worked out for you guys. Um, I want to let you get out of here. I appreciate giving me the time you did. I know that uh, there's a lot of responsibilities for uh, for for yourself and your program to ten- for you to tend to with your program, I should say. But um, go enjoy the rest of the holiday season, and uh, the spring is coming uh, coming at you before you know it. I will see you out there, and I appreciate you stopping by the back of the range. Thanks, Ben. I uh, always respect what you do, and big fan. And uh, thanks for having me on. And there you have it. Special thanks to Coach Greg Sands of Texas Tech for joining me on this episode here at the Back of the Range. Don't forget, follow along on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. This week, I'll be at Sea Island for the Jones Cup Junior Invitational. So make sure you're following Jones Cup Invitational on Instagram. And we'll see you next time here at the Back of the Range.